Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 302. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today, we got Kevin Rakestraw. How are you, Kevin? I'm doing uh, pretty good. All right. Uh, I'm sick. So I apologize if I sound more nasally than normal. I came down with something, you know, Friday night. I had a little tickle in my throat. I was concerned. I was like, this is going to turn into something. I can always tell because I got the little tickle in the evening. And then Saturday morning, I wake up, throat on fire. Just Mm. horrible, horrible. Now, it... Calmed down a little bit throughout the day yesterday. Today, I've moved on to the congestion phase of the illness. Nice. That's my favorite yeah. part. You know, honestly, I'd rather have congestion than the, the horrible sore throat. Because yeah. when, when I get sick, my throat is just, it's so bad. It, it just feels like there's a little person standing in the back of my throat, just constantly slicing my tonsils with razors. Wow. Yeah. That's uh, yeah, that sounds kind of intense. I'm also at the point now, I don't know if this has ever happened to you when you're sick, but like, it feels like your hair hurts. Like you have that, like your scalp is, it hurts. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yes. That's a weird feeling, isn't it? Yeah, I'm sure that there's a scientific explanation for that, but I don't know what it is. But yeah, it's like, oh, my hair hurts today. I'm getting, I'm definitely sick because my hair hurts. Uh, so anyway, I'm gonna try to plug through this today and and uh, try to cough and sneeze and be gross uh, as much as I can off off the mic. So yeah, I do it on mic. Okay. I'll keep everything in and then I'll just like put put everything together and put it at the end of the show as a stinger. A little, a little montage. Yeah, have all the coughing and sniffling at the end. I'm not I'm not actually gonna do that. This week on the show we'll be discussing Jeremy Saunier's Hold the Dark, along with someone we'll be watching on the watch list and going over this week's new releases in theaters, VOD and a Blu-ray. Just quick housekeeping news. If you haven't been keeping up with Film Pulse Selects, uh, be sure to do that. We're still releasing every other week. We're releasing a new film. Usually they're short films. Sometimes they're features. Uh, if you go to the website and click on the Film Pulse Selects link, or you can go to filmpulseselects.com and see all of our latest stuff. There's going to be a new one dropping this week. Also, we are going to be recording the next episode of Saved by the 90s, which is our Halloween special. I'm very excited for that. So keep keep a lookout for that. Follow us on our Twitter page for that. It's at 90s pod to stay up to date on when we're going to be releasing that. We don't have a date just yet. With that being said, let's jump into our review. We're talking about Jeremy Saulnier's Hold the Dark. All right, I have a synopsis here. After the deaths of three children suspected to be killed by wolves, writer Russell Core is hired by the parents of a missing six-year-old boy to track down and locate their son in the Alaskan wilderness. Now, Kevin, you I'm a huge fan of Jeremy Saunier's mm-hmm. films. You're not so much. Like I think if if I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but 
you were you were okay with Blue Ruin, not so much on Green Room, right? No, I actually like Blue Ruin. Okay. A good deal. Green Room, uh, so this was uh, some kind of like in between. On the fence, I guess okay. you could say. So withhold the dark. What did that did that tip the scales for you? Tipped it a little bit. Now guess which which side did it tip it to? I'm guessing uh, negative. No positive. Oh, good, good. I actually, I I enjoyed hold the dark. Thought it was fairly straightforward. Just got into it. The only thing that kind of the only negative that I would really have for it is the whole like the cursed narrative mm-hmm. about how like like the I don't know if it was her the mother is cursed and the cute little town is cursed and all that didn't really feel fleshed out to me. It kind of felt like we got dropped into the middle of that, like we were just supposed to know. And they, t- they talked about it, like, vaguely, but they never, I was just like, oh, I guess I just got to take your word for it that it, maybe it's cursed. Yeah, I think it's based on some sort of Inuit folklore or something, maybe. But evidently, their family, uh, the family of the missing boy, is cursed. I guess. But, yeah, I I completely agree that they didn't really flesh that out too much so it was kind of hard to to decipher because there were a lot of like things little lines that they were they would say that sort of referenced that almost supernatural element to the film but mm-hmm. they just never quite went into it at all like there there would be like weird things like they were always talking about the sky and stuff that they just never yeah. really expanded upon. So, yeah, I was a little confused about that. But for me, I think like for you, it didn't really bring the movie down too much for me. It was a quibble. But I, I enjoyed the, the film as well. I I figured I would. Um, I think that I wasn't as high on this as I was Green Room or Blue Ruin. But... This was still a pretty pretty solid effort, and it's definitely. I don't know if it's. I want to say it's it's definitely his biggest movie, but looking back, I'm not. I'm not sure. It it, it seems, grander in scale than than his other films. Yeah, and it it definitely has a. It has more polish on it. It feels like more of a mainstream film, if that makes sense. Where I can see that. But it still has it still holds that style that he's that that I know him for, mostly being the incredible realistic and grisly violence that he brings into mm. his movies. That that is that is definitely there. It is still there. I was, and and also, I feel like this movie is a little bit mismarketed in that you see the trailer, you read the synopsis, and you think that this movie is going to be about Jeffrey Wright heading out into the wilderness, hunting down a, a 
pack of wolves that killed a boy, right? That that's what yeah. you think going into it. And you know, if you see the trailer, you know that there's some maybe cult-like elements cuz you see like little glimpses of that the masks that they have and you think maybe there's some sort of like maybe ritualistic things that are happening here and you know that I think it gives you hints that Alexander Skarsgård his character who is the husband and the father of the boy who's gone missing you think something's not quite right there but really the movie is is wildly different than what you may expect because that whole that whole idea is upended pretty early yeah i mean within (laughs) within the first (laughs) act yeah and there's not much of jeffrey wright really doing much of anything in the wilderness for a large portion of this movie he almost disappears a little bit yeah yeah we do but and that was that was another thing that it was kind of a quibble for me was it, I was kind of disappointed that once again you know after watching Mandy and now this where it kind of just you have all these elements and then it just sort of devolves into just kind of like a straightforward revenge thing where it's just taking people out, people get in his way, take them out. And it's just, that was another thing that I, was, I still enjoyed it, but it was just, it was kind of a, a disappointment, a little bit of a letdown. Because I thought it was going to be more of this, like the Alaskan wilderness and hunting wolves. and Yeah, and there's a little bit of that in there, but yeah. it's that's definitely not the focal point of the film. It's It's definitely more about Jeffrey Wright and the police versus Alexander scars. I don't want to give anything more away than that, because I feel like the hook, like one of the big moments is discovering that this is not about, you know, him him hunting wolves. And I was, I was a little bit trepidatious at the beginning because I'm like, okay, you have two things that you're dealing with that, could leave a really bad taste in my mouth. One is this whole wolves being bad and need to be hunted down. And then when you introduce the natives into it, and he's kind of going off a little bit of like the folklore and stuff. It's just, I was a little bit worried that those two things were going to be handled poorly, which I don't really think they were. No, I don't think they were either. I thought that they were handled respectfully. I I mean, obviously, I'm not an authority on native Alaskan culture, so I can't say for sure, but it didn't feel exploitative or anything like that to me. Yeah, I mean, we could be way off base, and maybe it was, but I, I, I I didn't sense that. Certainly not with the wolf angle. I, I didn't think that they were making wolves out to be these like ruthless bloodthirsty killers or anything. I mean, early on we see a pretty tough uh, shot of the wolves eating one of their own cubs. And that lets Jeffrey Wright know right away that there's, there's something going on there. There's a, uh, they don't have a food source or something like that. And I feel like it, it doesn't make the wolves out to be, villainous 
No, because they, again, they almost completely, it gets upended and the wolves are just kind of like gone for most of the movie. Like, it's not about wolves at all. They they merely exist as a metaphor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Metaphor wolves, you know? <laughs> yeah, meta wolves all over the place. <laughs> uh, what'd you think about performances? I thought, um... I thought the guy that played Cheon, Julian Black Antelope, I thought he was great. Jeffrey Wright was, was he was he was okay. I was just I mean performance-wise he was fine. I just the way his character was written was a little bit of a bummer cuz he really didn't have much to him. He's just really really soft-spoken. Mhm. I did enjoy the way that he reacted when things were about to be terrible and he couldn't muster the strength to say anything out loud. He would just kind of be like, hey. <laughs> yeah, because you know that's how it would be. <laughs> A lot of the characters, most of the characters were very stoic and there there wasn't a ton of dialogue in this. Skarsgård played a character that he should be familiar with by this point where he barely says anything at all. Yeah, that was, and that was another thing that I found slightly to where not only does it devolve into this kind of straightforward revenge thing. I mean, it has some little trinkets of folklore and everything, the mask and whatnot, but his character was just, there wasn't really anything to him. He's just kind of bland in one note. Yeah, he was, he was, I felt he was a complex character, but we just didn't really get to dive into that complexity due to the circumstances with which he was brought back home. You know, like when they introduce him, he's in Fallujah. Is it? uh, Well, actually, I don't know where, because that, that was, they showed that on the TV. I don't know exactly where he was deployed, but he was a soldier in the war and there's something pretty horrific that happens when he's introduced. And that to me sets up the character, but I, it doesn't really dive too deeply into who this guy is. We see his actions, but we don't really know the thought process behind a lot of the decisions that he makes. And I'm sure that that's, that's by design. They don't want to like, do any kind of like exposition dumps or anything to yeah. explain it, but I don't know. But again, it's kind of, it's it's fairly disappointing because it seems like he just gets zeroed in on this one goal, and anyone that gets in the way, you're gone, you're dispatched. But for a movie that's two hours and five minutes long, I would I I would think that you have some time in there to maybe flesh out Skarsgård's character, maybe introduce a little bit more of the the so-called curse. Maybe the book, because this is based on a novel, which I haven't read, so maybe the novel explains that a little bit more. Maybe it doesn't explain it at all, and that's why the film is so sort of cryptic about the characters and the lore behind it. But it also... I got the sense that it was almost, it felt kind of like Skarsgård's 
what he was doing at a certain point he kind of breaks off from the story and it just it felt like that section of it just kind of got detached from the main film where it just felt like kind of this this own standalone thing that was happening that when they went to that when they kind of cut away from what was going on with the police and Cheon mm-hmm. and Jeffrey Wright's character and when they come over to Skarsgård I was kind of like I don't like the Skarsgård stuff go back to everyone else yeah because the dude's just walking around and he's not saying shit like it's it's like a slasher movie it like turns into a the the uh the scars guard stuff's like a slasher movie it does, it it felt like a, almost a different movie yeah i mean i thought it was more exciting when like sort of after the the chian stuff where it turned into more of a, a cat and mouse game where they're they're trying desperately to catch up to scars guard uh his name is vernon vernon sloan trying to catch up with him before he reached his wife, Medora Sloan, played by uh, Riley Keough. I got to talk about that shootout. There's, I'm going to keep it vague. I don't want to give anything away, but there's an incredible, extended, very long shootout sequence that was very exciting, very tense. And so, you know, the thing, the thing about, Sonnier's movies is that the and I mentioned it earlier the the violence when he incorporates violence he it's not like wall to wall violent or anything but when he does put it in it feels so real and visceral that it's it's almost disturbing you know you see other movies that have shootouts and they don't really affect you Right, they're just like, oh, it's a, it's a shootout in this action movie or thriller or whatever. But when he does it, it's done on such a gritty, realistic level that you're just like, oh my god! Like you feel like these mm-hmm. people are actually being shot and killed. Yeah, and see, that was the the issue that I had with Green Room is that one kind of felt nonstop once it was introduced. It was just violence, 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 violence. And it was just like, it was too much for me. And because it's so realistic, I was just like, you know, I don't need to see these people just being hurt and killed. Like, I I just, I don't want that. You know what I mean? Like, that's not my idea of a good time. Here, at least it's, it's kind of, it's spread out. Mm -hmm. But when it does show up, when it, when it is introduced into the room, boy does it you know demand attention yeah it's because especially when that shootout starts and because you're right it looks it looks real (laughs) like really really real yeah he i mean he's just a master at shooting uh shooting violence the like he he incorporates things that I don't know if I've ever seen in movies before. Like there's there's one scene involving a bow and arrow and something that happens and I'm just like, oh, like that, that there were so many like shocking moments like that that happened where I'm just like, oh my god. <laughs> like, oh my god. Yeah. Oh my god. And and just all the injuries look like genuine injuries like that's what it would look like if you got shot in the face or you know, got stuck with an arrow or whatever. Yeah. 
and I come back to Blue Ruin. I think that was the first thing that oh yeah kind of got me with that movie when he tries to take that. Yeah, and like yeah, that's that's how you can't just pull those out. This is what would happen. Yeah, I mean, I remember that was that was the thing that really struck me with Blue Ruin is how real it all looked, and I think that that carries over into into his next two films as well. And this one, this one was like it was bigger. Like the the shootout was like lots of people involved, whereas his other films, it was much more you know one versus one or just small groups of people. This was like big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the other films, it, it felt more more personal, mm-hmm. and here it was yeah. like on a bit on a big scale. I mean, it's still personal, but the, the the thing I did like about that shootout with it being bigger and everything is the way that it kind of ended with Jeffrey Jeffrey Wright, mm-hmm. which I I don't know if I've I've witnessed that where you have so much violence and so much death and injuries and stuff like that. And then it's essentially almost brought to a halt by a guy just exclaiming, stop it. Which I thought was, that was interesting. I also liked the, the introduction, how that sequence kicked off where in, in the background out of focus, you see the door opening and you're just like, Oh my God. Oh my God! And then Je- Jeffrey Wright sees it, and he does it again. Oh he's just like, eh, <laughs> yeah. Hey. But uh, yeah, that I mean, you can tell that that uh, that they were slightly amateurish because Cheon kind of tells you what's going to happen. Oh yeah, and they did not listen to Cheon. And they paid dearly. I mean, they said it early on in the film. The sheriff says, like, these are all rookies. Like, these guys yeah. have no idea what what this is. They, they've never experienced anything like this before. And I think that they even said that that town never, never had a murder in it up until that point. So... Yeah, they were they were definitely green. These guys, they they had no concept of what they were in for. But I think it's also interesting how 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 they took it to the extreme. Like like Cheon, for instance, like like why did he do that? You know, like why why did he take it to that level? Like what 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 was what was his play you know like why why did he do that that was the thing that once everything kind of kicked off that's again that's where i kind of felt like did i miss something was like did i doze off for a second like why is this escalating to the point that it is and even even the thing that happens prior to that very shocking moment in the film. That's what I mean. That's the thing. That that moment. That? Like, where, where you're... <laughs> where that's where I was just like, what? Yeah, you're just like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, what's what's going on here? Why is this... Why is this happening? And I think that maybe some of that is... Maybe... Not really, but... I was going to say maybe some of that is answered at the very, very end when sort of the truth is revealed, but I still don't think that quite 
justifies the actions of the people involved. Yeah. Either way, uh, I I enjoyed this movie. Like the the other thing is like his his previous two movies, and it's been years and years since I've seen Murder Party. But if I remember correctly, that one can also be included. That his movies prior to this have been very close and intimate like everything takes place for the most part indoors in small rooms and things like that whereas this one just it's wide open you know you're out in the alaskan wilderness and i think that opening things up uh, provides a lot more opportunities for him to explore new new uh ways of exhibiting violence and uh yeah, it worked. It worked for me, so I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it for the most part too. I think that, and this is like the first time that he's kind of gone outside of not only are his movies kind of small, intimate, take place in one room or several rooms in one building, that type of thing. It's kind of small scale. This one, like you said, more open. His other films were usually all around hour and a half. They're all ninety minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one. The, the runtime's expanded, it's supposed to be grand and epic. And I just, I don't know if that that time was utilized wisely. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with that. I think I think he could have done a better job there. But overall, for me, it's, uh, it's an upgrade from Green Room. For me... For you, it's probably the opposite. Yeah, for me, it's a little bit of a downgrade. So let's give it a score. What are you going to give Hold the Dark out of 10? Um, and one other thing that, because I, I didn't know that Jeffrey Wright was in this movie. So when he popped up, I was so unbelievably happy. Oh, yeah. I love Jeffrey Wright. I, I, I love that he was the protagonist in, in this film. I also like James Badge Dale a lot. And I mean, he's, I think he's a really great character actor. And any, anything I see him in, I think he's fantastic. And I, I want to see, I mean, he, he gets a lot of work, but I want to see him taking more leading roles and taking a bigger, ha- having a bigger presence in the movies that he's in. Cause I think he's, he's always so good. Well, okay. Well, back to the, t- I agree with you. I thought he was great too, but uh, where were we with the, you didn't, the you didn't give rating. You didn't give your score yet. I got to give it a score. I give it like a six and a half. All right. Maybe seven. Might lean towards there. I'm at a six and a half on this one. It's like somewhere in between six and a half and seven for me as well. Overall, enjoyed it. Couple couple hiccups, but I mean, as far as a Netflix. Now, were you? A, yeah. Was there any kind of hesitation, being that this is a Netflix movie? No, I actually like st- for whatever reason. Even though I don't. It's kind of a mixed bag with Netflix movies. You know, there's there's been some that I liked, some that I haven't liked, some that I just found fucking bland as all hell. But there's still like this like tinge of excitement that Friday night I get home from work and I can we can just go downstairs, get on the couch, and just turn Netflix on and watch a new movie from like an actual, you know, director that i know and excited about like that to me is still really cool 
it doesn't always it doesn't always deliver, but just that to have that is great. Yeah, and they're doing a lot more of that. I mean, we have the Gareth Evans film Apostle coming out very soon. We have the uh, the Timo movie that I'm really excited about that I've heard a lot of positive buzz around. I can't remember the name of that. It's called Night Comes for Us, I think. Okay. The Night Comes for nice. Us. Yeah, look in, nice. look into that one and you'll get very excited. Um it it brings Eco Uice back and he does the fight choreography on it. Apparently it's just 2 hours of just non-stop violence and fighting. And I'm very excited for it. <laughs> Uh, anyway, that's Hold the Dark. As we said, it is playing on Netflix now, so you can give it a look. If you're not familiar with uh, Jeremy Saulnier's previous films, I would say give those a look, too, because those those are well worth uh, your time. Let's move on and talk about some of what we've been watching on the watch list. I think I'll kick it off this week. I am at the New York Film Festival right now, and the, I can talk about some of these movies that I've been seeing. Uh, the first film that I saw was Her Smell. This is the new Alex Ross Perry film that stars uh, Elizabeth Moss as a 90s punk rocker girl, like a riot girl. And it is a, you know, sort of, it sort of reminds me of your your standard biopic, like rock and roll biopic, but... It's got that Alex Ross Perry spin on it where so the the film is comprised of, I believe, five acts and each act is played out in real time and it plays out in it's like a separate uh, time in her career. Elizabeth Moss's career. She's the front woman of this this uh, punk rock band and it's really difficult to watch. I think a lot of people are going to have a problem with this one just because it is, it just bombards you with, it's like sensory overload. Her character is so uh, abrasive and difficult to deal with that you almost immediately become exhausted with her presence. And what he does to make it even more difficult and challenging as a viewer is he uses a lot of super close-ups and he sort of has this rum this ever-present rumble or crowd sound in the background so there's always noises that are happening and it like never stops and then on top of that, you have Elizabeth Moss, who plays this crazy alcoholic drug addict who's just acting completely insane nonstop. And I, I can understand why a lot of people would have a very hard time enjoying this movie. I, however, did enjoy it quite a bit, mostly for what they do in the last two acts of the film. I thought that those last two acts really brought everything together and it was, it was worth getting through the, the, uh, 
the more caustic moments for me. But I think it's maybe one of his best movies. I don't know. I still really like the color wheel, but this is probably right up there for me. I'd be curious to see what you think. I think that you're, you're probably not going to like it, but we'll see. I mean, when it, when it came out, it was announced and I kind of read the synopsis and everything. I, I had no interest whatsoever. I was just like, that does not sound like my cup of tea at all. But with you kind of being big on it, I think I'll watch it now. Because I think Golden Exits, because after uh, Queen of Earth, I was kind of like, eh. This, I found it to be good filmmaking, but overall I just I didn't really enjoy it. And the Golden Exits was, ugh. I felt like a, I was like, I might be done. I might be done. Yeah, I mean, the, the filmmaking is great in this, and it is certainly closer to Queen of Earth than Golden Exits. In that there's like there's actual substance with this one, yeah, and it's I felt like he played it a little bit too safe with golden exits, but at the same time, it's not as annoy- annoyingly obtuse as Queen of Earth was, yeah, but I will say that Elizabeth Moss should win an Oscar for this. she is absolutely incredible like this is by far her best performance and she's had a lot of really great performances she's just on another level with this like she if it turns out that like lady gaga gets nominated and wins an oscar and elizabeth moss doesn't um i will forever boycott the oscars i can tell you right now that's going to happen there's no way Elizabeth Moss is going to get nominated from an Alex Ross Perry movie. I'm just when you, I'm just I'm telling you right now. Just start boycotting. When you see this, you're just like, holy crap! Like she completely transforms herself, and the like the range, the range that she shows in this movie, where you know she's playing someone who has serious substance abuse problems. So she's like, you know, got those ups and downs, those highs and lows, constantly. Where like she's like manic one moment and then completely uh depressive the next moment and it's just so good so good okay all right see i I think that's what's gonna get me to watch it is to see this performance yeah because i've I've heard other people saying this Uh, and there's other everybody in it is great like eric stoltz is in it he plays this uh like the the record label owner slash manager maybe and it and it Stoltz? Yeah. Yeah. And he's great. He's great in it. And 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 it really to me it really encapsulates that sort of nineties garage garage band zine culture very very nicely. Okay. It it takes place in yeah. the nineties, by the way. Okay. Which I that's got you bonus points with you right off the bat. Yeah, definitely. Probably had a title card that was like 1994, and you're like four stars. Right no, there. it didn't. <laughs> Stop starting off four stars. No, it didn't. It didn't have that. I, but it's very easy to decipher the time period when it when it starts up. Gotcha. I watched a. This is an obscure one. I don't know how 
you would be able to watch this, but it's called They Do Not Exist. This is from 1974, director Mustafa Abu Ali, who he worked with Godard, and he was also the one that founded like the film division of the PLO, which is the Palestine Liberation Organization. So this is a documentary where he kind of breaks it up into he has some footage of people just living in this refugee camp in Lebanon. And then he has, he spends some time with uh, the, the Palestinian guerrilla fighters. So he's alongside them. He has some footage of Israeli bombardments on this refugee camp and everything. And then the follow-up to that is going through the rubble with the, with the people and kind of puts all this stuff together. It has some political stuff you know, speeches and whatnot, um, which for the time period, 1974, it comes off as it's kind of like has at least a sense of hope for Palestine, which makes it kind of difficult watching it in 2018 because you kind of know where everything, where it was and where it's at right now. So it, you don't really sense that hope that seems to be in this movie, mm-hmm. but because because of you know being further in the future, it's kind of gone. But uh, it's a tough watch, but it's really interesting to actually. I think this might be the first time I've ever watched like a a, a film from Palestinian cinema. Hmm, interesting. This is called "They Do Not Exist" from 1974. Uh, I saw "If Beale Street Could Talk." This is you son of a This is the new Barry Jenkins film now. Uh I loved Moonlight and I felt like okay, th- this there's a lot that has to live up to Moonlight because I really I really love that movie. I think it was my number one movie of 2016. Okay. But All right. uh this one I am happy to say does live up to Moonlight. It is an absolutely wonderful film. Like I, I was yes. just so taken yes. by this this movie. This is a this is a movie that's gonna win. It's gonna it, it's gonna win many many Oscars. It'll be at least be nominated for probably all the big Oscars. We were talking. It's gotta be. We're talking. It's gotta yeah, be. absolutely. Um, I never read the book. I I do want to read the book now. Um, by James Baldwin. We talked about this when uh, I'm Not Your Negro came out a couple years ago. Um, both of us, big fans of James Baldwin. Uh, I, I could listen to James Baldwin talk endlessly. And mm-hmm. I think that that Barry Jenkins uh, taking Baldwin's voice and creating this this film out of it, I think that Baldwin would probably be very pleased with the outcome. Uh, because... <sighs> It's it's a love story and it's not it's not overly politicized although that is an ever present thing. I mean it's about uh this young couple who they grew up together, they've known each other since they were little kids. They eventually fall in love and right when that happens, I mean they're together for a very short amount of time before the man is wrongfully accused of rape and sent to to prison. And uh, he's played by Stephen James. 
uh, Kiki Lane is the the other protagonist, uh, Tish. Her name is in the movie. And man, it's it's a powerful film. It is the thing that sort of struck me by it was how light a lot of it was. The many of the characters were extremely relatable, extremely likable, and you just it it in a lot of ways it was like a feel good movie. Like you you believed that these characters were truly meant to be together and you were just rooting for them the whole time. So the the bulk of the film is Tish and her family doing what they can to try to get him out of prison, to get him out and do the, they're they're hiring lawyers, they're they're finding uh, as it turns out the the victim of this this horrible crime uh, went to Puerto Rico. So Tish's mom played by Regina King and Regina King also deserves an Oscar for her role. She was just stunning. Uh, she goes down to Puerto Rico to find the woman and talk to her. And then there's, there's all these like small uh, moments too. Like Diego Luna's in it and he plays uh, a, a friend of Tish and Fani is the, uh, is Stephen James's character's name. And He's just such a likable, friendly person. He's only in it for maybe two or three scenes, but he's just, he's so good in it. And um, also Dave Franco is in it. He plays this like realtor and he's in maybe one of the best scenes of the film. They're, they're looking to buy a loft in, in the city and Dave Franco plays this realtor and it leads to just this, such a wonderful heartfelt scene because they're they because nobody's renting to them because they're a black couple and they're young it, they're, they're not renting to them and dave franco just has no problem with it and he doesn't understand why people have a problem with it and it, it leads to one of the uh best exchanges in the the film so, so yeah high recommendation for me it's funny it it has it certainly has plenty of uh, powerful moments but it's just just great i can't recommend it highly enough so be sure to see if beale street could talk as soon as you can because it's definitely going to be one of the top movies of the year i was able to catch uh tonsler park on which is currently playing on movie right now this is a documentary from uh, Kevin Jerome Everson, uh, black and white, 16 millimeter, uh, very straightforward. It's a mostly just camera still fixated on one individual, kind of in close up from across the room. And this is the whole movie is just tracking the voting process in Charlottesville, Virginia on Election Day 2016. So it kind of goes around to different precincts, just fixates on one character for a moment at a time, and just kind of camera just stays on them as they do their job duties. You know, it's people people working the polls. Um, and with that being across the room, camera across the room, person on the other end, a lot of the time, most of this movie is people standing in front of the camera in line talking to whoever the poll worker is. 
So you just see like someone's back mm. or waistline and that's it. Yeah. The, the audio and the video isn't synced up. So you just have this like din of like a community, just a lot of vibrant activity in the beginning of the movie. It's kind of like the opening of the polls and that, that noise level kind of drops or dissipates throughout the movie as the day grows longer. Um, so it's, it's kind of interesting, but at the same time, this is an 80 minute doc. And this again is one of those things where I feel like short films don't get the respect that they deserve because a lot of times people know that, okay, what I have only constitutes 20 minutes, 18 minutes, 22 minutes, whatever it might be. And to do that with knowing that short films don't really sell, they don't, you know, nothing happens with short films most of the time. And to still do it and then to have this and stretch it out to 80 minutes, like it'll stay with one person working the polls for like 15, 20 minutes. And it's just people in the way. Occasionally they'll move out of the way and you'll see someone's face and you're like, oh, okay. I'm not really sure what this person's doing because the audio and video is not actually synced up. So I don't know what the job is. I can kind of guess. But oddly enough, the, like the, the audio aspect of it is slightly comforting to just hear people bustling about. It's just a shit ton of pleasantries being exchanged. Mm. Like, hello, have a good day. Move over this way. And it does kind of lull you into this, like, really comfortable and just kind of fall asleep to it's it. It's like one of those AS, ASMR videos. Yeah. Like, it's really nice, but 80 minutes? No. <laughs> no. No, thank you, sir. No. No. But, I mean, there is a deliberate choice being made. It's not random people working the polls. It's all black people working the polls. Okay. With, but again, there's not, it's not synced up. There's no like interaction. It's just camera, this person working. All right. That's Tonsler Park playing on Mubi. I saw The Favorite, directed by Yorgos Lanthimos. Uh, just sighing at me left and right here. <laughs> it's just, I'm happy for you, but at the same time, I'm not. You'll probably get to see this. Think. You'll probably get to see this before the end of the year, I would imagine. I'm sure I probably will. But it's just, it just seems like you're having such a great time. I'm happy for you. I'm really happy for you, but I am also jealous. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I mean, uh, I got a lot of I got a lot of big ones lined up all in a row. Uh, so the favorite, I'm a big fan of his previous films. We've talked about him many, many times on on the show, all the way back to Dogtooth. I mean, I remember when we first talked about Dogtooth, and what I mean, we were we were both just so taken with that movie. It was just well, I think I, well, I think we became pretty smitten with 
Greek cinema as a whole. Yeah. Oh yeah, time. yeah, yeah. Because it was so it was so different yeah. than what everyone else was doing. Yeah, because like Alps was coming out around shortly thereafter, and yeah, I mean Attenberg. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm a so I'm a big fan of his. I really liked The Killing of a Sacred Deer, which was his last film. This one is a little bit of a departure for him. It is a period piece. It takes place in the um the early 18th century, so 17 I want to say like 17 maybe 05 to 1715 somewhere around there. And it it follows the life of Queen Anne. Uh played amazingly by olivia coleman she is so funny in this movie oh my god and yes i learned that she's funny in real life too because there's a press conference right after the screening that i went to and she was just absolutely hilarious in the press conference queen anne she's she's frail she's very childlike she's she's portrayed as sort of this like little girl who just wants to play and she's just a very goofy, very goofy character. Uh, and Rachel Weiss, who plays Lady Sarah, who's her best friend, but also sort of governs the land while she's uh, while her health is declining. And Emma Stone comes in and she plays uh, Abigail, who is Lady Sarah's cousin. And she's fallen on hard times and Lady Sarah gives her a job and she sort of quickly starts climbing up the ranks in order to gain favor with Queen Anne and sort of usurp uh, Rachel Weisz's character for her position. And so you, you have so the film turns into this sort of battle battle of wits between Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz where they they sort of start out as friends, but they start backstabbing each other. And then there's this just back and forth where they're trying to earn the queen's favor. And, and as the title suggests, become the favorite of the queen. And it's not, it's not as weird and out there and sort of absurd as Lanthimos's other films. This is very, it's grounded in a lot of ways, but, the humor is still sort of signature Lanthimos in that there's just a lot of weird shit that happens, just kind of odd, oddball things that occur. Um, a lot of the comedy is dialogue va- driven uh, because the characters, while they don't speak in like a 100% contemporary vernacular, they they do they'll just sprinkle in these like dialogue bits and lines that are completely contemporary and it's sort of it's just it fits so nicely into the the tone of the film because you're just like oh okay like they'll they'll just say random things that definitely would not be said in the 1700s also there's like this really amazing dance sequence they have this sort of ball or gala and there's this dance (laughs) sequence and it starts off looking very sort of traditional you know of the time but then they start throwing in these dance moves that are clearly not (laughs) of that era 
And it just, it's, it looks so ridiculous and funny. And it's just a lot of really subtle touches that yes. he incorporates yes. that make everything feel just a little bit off. And it just works so well. And the other thing that he does is he uses a lot, almost exclusively wide angle lenses. And he uses a lot of fisheye lenses. And that's not something that I think I've ever seen in a period piece like this before. You know, because that that's typically a, a more modern, that, that gives things a more modern sheen to them. And yeah. the way that he does it, so he'll like place the, the camera in the corner of the room and use either just the super wide angle or a fisheye. And it really just makes these sort of ornate halls and rooms that they're in just really pop. But it also aids in the sort of weird goofy tone of the film. So there was just a lot that I really enjoyed with this movie. If you're going in expecting the really out there absurdist humor of his uh, previous films, it's not, you might be disappointed because it's not quite there. This is a, a more traditional comedy, although there are plenty of just <laughs> shocking, strange things thrown in. But I would say it is definitely one of his more, one of his most grounded uh, films. That being said, I still loved it. So I would, I would highly recommend the favorite and great, great performances. I don't, I don't know if that even needs to be said at this point, but Rachel Weiss was incredible. Emma Stone was, was great. Nicholas Holt was really good in it as well as was uh, Joe Alwyn. So yeah, I would recommend the favorite. I'm excited by all these movies that I was already excited for. You're telling me positive things, really positive things. So I'm even more excited now. I have one last one. And that is, I talked a little bit about short films, not getting their due. This one's a short film. It's called Altiplano, which this is one of the best things I've watched in quite some time. Absolutely loved it right up my alley so it's directed by melina slam who is born and raised chile currently based out of montreal this is a 16 millimeter so what she did is a lot of just still shots of the andean mountains everything that's around that area the 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 skyline of the mountains the there's salt flats, there's volcanic deserts, there's lakes, there's all sorts of stuff. And then she kind of superimposes them on top of each other and then superimposes different moons and all sorts of stuff, right? So you have this very vibrant, very colorful, just different textures going on, superimposed on each other. Sometimes they're not superimposed and they're just alone, standalone. But and then you also have the the music. What's what soundtracks all of this is just essentially field recordings of inside of volcanoes, the the sound of geysers, the sound of blue whales, and she kind of manipulates all of that 
the, the kind of soundtrack and what you end up getting is it feels it takes all these organic elements and creates something really alien out of it and it almost has this sci-fi feel to it even though there's no dialogue there's no nothing it's just images and it's just the sounds and it but it feels it feels like an alien world it feels very sci-fi and it there's different tones to it based on the music and everything and it's just it was it was really interesting and it was for me it was like mesmerizing wow. i absolutely fucking loved it i'm going to have to check this out this is on letterbox this is very highly rated a lot of people are singing singing its praises and looks like it's only 16 minutes long so it's only 16 minutes long it knows what it's doing knows they can't do this for 80 minutes no one wants to see this for 80 minutes but for 16 minutes mm, sweet spot fucking love it all right and that is uh altiplano uh the last one i'll mention this is one that uh that was definitely not aware of its runtime coming in at 148 minutes and that's burning by lee chang dong now, I was really excited about this this movie. I, I saw the trailer a while back. I heard nothing but great things. And I got to say, this one, this one was a little bit disappointing for me. It is a very, very slow plotting movie about this, uh, this guy who sort of... He sort of falls for this girl, and she, she ends up with, uh, with this boyfriend played by Steven Young and he she goes missing she's just mysteriously vanishes and he sets out to find her and he believes that maybe there's some foul play going on here he thinks maybe Steven Young did something to her so he's sort of investigating what happened to her and then he starts investigating Steven Young following him figuring out what this guy's deal is because he's very weird. Like he plays and Steven Young is great in this. He plays sort of a psychopath character and it's just the, the problem. And I need to see it again. Uh, I don't feel comfortable writing a review for this until I see it again, because I I was just zoning out periodically throughout it. And I, and I feel like maybe I just, I missed some key moments and I just don't quite grasp why so many people were so into this movie. The, the characters are very rich and deeply developed and the story while intriguing just for me is a little bit too, too slow too plotting. It's, it's the, the, a little bit of a too much of a slow burn for me to really get into it. I feel like it just could have been tightened up so much. You, you could have accomplished this in 90 minutes. And I, th- I feel like I would have got the same, same thing out of it. So unfortunately after my first viewing, I just wasn't that big on it. Hmm goes against everything that i've been seeing i know and that's that's what i'm like that's why i feel like i missed something with it but i just i was not sometimes it just doesn't connect you know just works out that way 
I mean, it, I didn't hate it or anything. I, I thought it was fine. Like I would probably, if I were to rate it now, I would probably give it like a six, but yeah. people are just saying that this is one of the best movies of the year. And, and for me, it just didn't, didn't quite land. There were a lot of really great moments in it. It looked great, but I, I feel like maybe the runtime is just what really got me. Cause it really started to lose me. Um, mm. it, it, I don't know. Uh, that's burning. I do. I do plan on watching it again before the end of the year. Just, just to. Uh, I mean, assuming that it comes out. Just, just to see if if I did, you know, miss miss some big pivotal moments. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about some movies coming out in theaters this week. Got a lot. This is a big week. I see that. We got. A Star is Born. Now, I know you're not interested in this one at all, but there's a lot of buzz. A lot of buzz behind this one. A lot of people singing its praises. I know a lot of uh, our writers are very excited about this one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm not, but... I, I can't say that I am either. But, I mean, it is director... Bradley Cooper. <laughs> Still can't get over so, that, huh? I can't. I can't. I just. Mm. I'll check it out. I'll watch it just for year end purposes, but I have no expectations going into it. We also have Venom coming out. Yeah. You know, at first I was a little bit into this one, but. I've cooled on it a little bit since they I, they said it was going to be PG thirteen and there was all this kerfuffle about it it being toned down to get that rating and stuff and I yeah it just seems it's like based on the trailers it seems kind of silly I'm yeah I'm just not sure how this is gonna work the only thing that interests me is Tom Hardy saying that his portrayal of Venom is a, a partly based on Red Man. <laughs> That's I, the I only thing that. that makes me go, oh, well, I have to see this then. I kinda, I'm kind of interested now. <laughs> and that, that kind of intrigues me. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll be checking it out. I watch most of the superhero movies, so this will be no exception. I, I love the Spider-Man series, not necessarily the movies, but just the Spider-Man lore. I like the comics and yeah. So I think my Venom's always been my favorite. Yeah. He's a great world. Yeah. He's a great character. So I'll be giving it a look. We also have shine coming out. This is a film about the New York bachata scene. So it's a dance. Okay. It's a dance movie. All right. Not a, it's not a documentary. It's fiction, but uh, there there's a lot of like professional dancers and stuff in it. We have a review for that up on the site, so you can check that out. It looks pretty bad, but not my thing anyway. We got The Hate You Give. Okay. What do you think about this one? Looks all right. Yeah, it looks it looks really heavy. It looks like it's one of these movies that a lot of people probably should see, but not enough people will see it, and it looks pretty devastating. Yes. Yeah, I mean the trailer alone is pretty devastating. 
this will be one that if I don't see in the theater, I'll definitely be giving it a look before the end of the year. We have Loving Pablo. I feel like this already came out at some point. We already talked about this. <laughs> Who? What is, what is this? Like a this is a Pablo Escobar thing? Yeah. I Why? know I know that we talked about this. I don't know if it got pushed back or maybe there was some sort of limited release earlier. Plus what like what is it with Pablo Escobar? It seems like the last like two years or so it's just been nonstop projects of his life. Yeah, and I think that like, this why? is this is the exact conversation we had when we talked about this movie before. <laughs> and then I mentioned, I said, just watch the Netflix series if you want oh, yeah. the whole yeah. thing. <laughs> I'll say that again. Just watch the Netflix series. Yeah, judging by it. Yeah. Anyway, we have Private Life coming out. Okay. We have Await Further Instructions, which is this pretty cool horror film. I would recommend seeing that one. We have a review for that up on the site. It's this kind of trippy, very Cronenberg-esque horror film where there's lots of uh like mechanical monsters and things it's it's pretty cool it it, it's about a family who they're at a they're at a get together and they uh an alert comes up on the tv that just says stay indoors await further instructions and the tv sort of locks them in their house and starts giving them orders to do different things. Oh, boy. Yeah. So it's it's pretty cool. We also have Heavy Trip coming out. This is the... I think it's Finnish. The Finnish comedy. Okay. About a, about a death metal band. Or no, black metal, I believe. Get your medals right. I know. I, I'm pretty sure it's black metal pretty good this one is odd because when you look at the trailer when you look at the poster and the marketing materials it it doesn't look like it would necessarily be a feel-good movie but it actually is (laughs) so uh, yeah we have a review for that up on the site as well studio 54 is coming out that's the documentary about studio 54 like we need that Mm mm-hmm Knuckleball is coming out. This is another horror film. Light recommend for that one. We also have a review for that up on the site. (laughs) That is pretty much it for theaters. Let's take a look at VOD. We have The Battle of the Bulge Wonderland starring Tom Berenger. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why, but that's funny. Yeah. Looks a little rough. We have A Dangerous Idea, which is a documentary. My Pet Dinosaur. Family film about a pet dinosaur. Nice. All right. Housewife. Got Sleep No More. That's a horror film, I believe. About a group of students that try to stay up for 200 hours straight. Well, that's just that's, that's not smart. And some crazy stuff happens to them. There was another horror film. That I saw at, I think, Tribeca that never came out. It, it was sort of a similar topic where they were trying just, to stay up for 
No, it's not this one. Because this one, this one, I don't know if this is an American film, but the the one that I saw was was a foreign film. Oh, okay. Might have been Spanish. I can't remember. Death Kiss comes out. Extremity. Maximum Impact. Molly. Domain. Painless. It's a movie about a guy who can't feel pain. Ooh. Mm Mm-hmm. Smart Chase, starring Orlando Bloom. You say Smart Chase? It's uh, S period, M period, etc. What 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 uh, what happened to Orlando Bloom there? I'm not sure, man. I don't know. He's been doing a lot of questionable movies lately. He plays a washed up private security agent. He has to escort a valuable Chinese antique out of Shanghai. Yeah, that's that's straight to Blu-ray. That one. We got uh, on. Those were all. For the for October second on the fifth, Jesus, yeah. (laughs) On the fifth, we have Cinemability: The Art of Inclusion. That's a documentary about uh, disabled individuals in cinema in Hollywood. Is that the one that you should? Is that the poster that you shared? Yeah, it's got a yes. It's got an incredibly bad poster. But uh, we'll have a review for that up on the site. Chris is reviewing that for us. We got Ride. Now, it's interesting because there's two movies called Ride that are coming out very close to one another. This oh, is this is the one that looks like it's some sort of thriller. Maybe about an Uber driver. Like a ride. One of, one of those services gone wrong. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. 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 Nice. <laughs> The other one is about motocross, I think. Uh, I was hoping the other one was about like a Lyft driver. (laughs) Uh, That looks like that's it for VOD. Let's take a look at Blu-ray. For Tuesday, October 2nd, we have Wolf Cop, the Wolf Pack. That's both Wolf Cop movies in one package. If you haven't nice if you haven't caught up with the the wolf cop series i'm just not into that series i didn't wasn't a fan of either one it's just it seems like something that could be so amazing yeah wolf but cop. it's it's just the cop that's wolf come on now i think it would have been better if they played it straight but they play it really over the top and goofy and it feels it feels almost like a trauma movie or an Astron Six movie, where it's just so over the top that it's just not my style of humor. Gotcha. But if they played it completely straight, I think it would have I would have enjoyed that. We got Sicario: Day of the Soldado. You saw that, didn't you? I did see that. You never you never talked about it on the site. Is this? Yeah, there's not much to talk about. It's not good. Okay, so not uh, the score. The score is really good. The score, the score is great. I love it. Okay, but everything else is just it, meh. All right, we have the first purge coming out. We've got leave no trace. Been looking forward to that one. Tales from the Hood two coming out. Nice. Yeah, I'm. 
guessing that that is also going to be on VOD, although I'm not, don't quote me on that. I'm assuming since it's coming out on Blu-ray that it's also going to be on VOD. But I haven't heard anything about that. Three Identical Strangers. That's a uh, documentary that I've been very anxious to see, and I, I missed it when it was in theaters. So I'm glad to be able to catch up with that one finally. I heard nothing but great things about that. Bloodfest is coming out. Yes. Again, not to be confused with Hellfest, which came out in theaters this weekend. Uh, uh, that's pretty much it. There's a lot as... <laughs> it's just like, no, I'm done. Yeah. I'm there, not reading all these. Like every Halloween season, there is a crap load of re-releases of horror movies. So you have like Halloween and... There's like a Purge box set coming out. Mm. Or no, it's... I uh, know it's the 4K versions of each of the Purge movies. And then you have like the new It movie getting another release. <laughs> okay. Annabelle Creation getting another release. And then there's like a pack that has both Annabelle films. Wonderful. Yeah. So there's a lot of those that that we're going to see this this October. What do we have what do we have on Criterion this week? Uh we have one Criterion and that's uh Cornell Wilde's film from 1965 The Naked Prey. All right, I think that's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. You can send us your questions and topics to feedback at filmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin. If you have a minute, take a look at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash filmpulse. Consider helping us out by becoming a subscriber. For Kevin Rakestraw, my name's Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week.